please and thank you. Find your seats. Find your hymn books, please and thank you. And turn your hymn books to 259, please and thank you. 259, I'm standing on the solid rock. Amen. What a lovely song. Stand up with me, if you will. We might not have a sunshine today, but the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the light of the world. So here we are. We got our light in our hearts. Two. My disappointment, strife and discontentment, I'm cast my every care on the Lord. No matter what obsession, pain or death, depression, I'm standing on the solid rock. I'm standing on the rock of ages, saved from hell the storm that rages. Satan's wages, I'm standing on the solid rock. Even though he's gone now, I don't feel alone now. With comfort came the Spirit of the Lord. Now with his word to guide me from temptations, hide me. I'm standing on the solid rock. I'm standing. Trusting in my Savior day by day. And close is our relation from its foundation. So on this solid rock I'll stay. I'm standing on the rock of ages. Save from all the storm that rages. Rich blood from Satan. I'm standing on the solid rock. Amen. Praise the Lord. Mr. Andy, would you pray for us? Please and thank you. Mr. Andy, would you pray for us? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of this day and the full church, Lord. We, we ask you, let us bless you today with our song and our, mm. our fellowship and, and your word, Lord. Bless this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Please stay standing and turn your hymn books to 277. Please and thank you, 277. Trust and obey. That's for you kids and us adults. <laughs> Try. 
much for your singing. All right, we'll have the ladies come up.
All right, they would sing that one right before announcements. <laughs> um, so, uh, Saturday we have outreach, 9.30 a.m. Try to get straightened out here. These glasses don't work good when your eyes are all watery. <laughs> Can't see too straight, but... Um, so 9.30 a.m., we'll meet here at the church, go door to door, um, continue praying about our building project. We did have, oh, yes, we did have last Sunday a uh, check for $32,000 come in. So, <laughs> And then I talked to the man doing the slab this past week, and um, he's on board for helping us get some of the prep work done, and he even said if we you know, get our permits and everything. We could get the frost wall in before the winter so that it has the whole winter to compact and get settled in well and uh, <coughs> maybe get the septic system in. So should have had Elijah do announcements, I guess. <laughs> uh, ladies meeting this coming Monday at 6 p.m. Okay, 6 p.m. And then um, I think that's uh, the majority of these announcements that I have on the paper, but I will say um, we do have another announcement. God is growing our church, clearly, as you can see. Uh, it is a blessing to have a full house today, and I got sidetracked here, but I did want to say this. Don't be scared away by all the people. You know, sometimes we have a big service like this, and the next Sunday some people don't ever come back again. And it's like, what happened? This is exciting. It's a blessing. Why do people not come back after we had a full house? And, you know, they just don't want the big crowd. But we are working on a building project so that we can have this many people and have a little more space. And maybe by the time we get that done, we'll have this many people all the time and be filling that up and see more people come. So... Don't be scared away by, you know, having a lot of people at church. It is a blessing. It's exciting. And uh, see it for what it is. It's just God's blessing. You know, it's, it's uh, he's good. So, um, yes, he is. You're right. He's always good. So, um, I want to say that, but I did want to also say the Lord is growing the church. The Petermans are expecting baby number two. So, I know a lot of folks are already aware of that, but if you're not, um, Jada and David are going to have another one. Katie is going to be a big sister. Uh, as crazy as that seems, someone so little could be a big anything, but <laughs> she'll be a, a big sister here sometime in the next year, nine, ten months, somewhere in there. Probably nine months at this point, right? I learned. You know, they say nine months, but I learned it actually is more like ten months, isn't it? Am I wrong? Yeah, I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> so when I, when I get, when, when Erica got pregnant, I didn't get pregnant, though. <laughs> I know I look like I'm pregnant, but uh, she actually was pregnant. And uh, I thought nine months from now, and then the doctor gives us the due date. And I'm like, what kind of math is that? <laughs> nine months is 10 months away? How did that happen? So anyways, that's kind of how that works. So if you didn't know it, you just got a lesson, something to remember. <laughs> anyways, all right, ushers, I think that's all I'm going to say for right now. We are going to have a couple more songs, so we'll have the kids dismiss after the, uh, the last couple of songs, so they can be in here for, for that. <sighs> Caleb, can you pray for the offering, bud? Yes, sir.
God, thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. Please bless Justin, Lord. Please bless the pastor and the medical piece because, like, Lord, please bless our hearts for it, Lord. And um, thank you for the harmony hearts being able to come out today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
wonders of your grace, and my voice cries out in endless praise. You have been good, you have been good, more than I ever dreamed you would. You have been good, you have been good. That's another one of my favorite songs. God sure has been good, hasn't he? And it actually fits perfect with what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to take a break from Ephesians. We're going to be in 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter chapter number 3 is where we're going to begin. And we're thankful to have you ladies with us today. Um, while you're finding your place, um, <clears throat> we've had the privilege of watching these young ladies. They're, I mean, you're still young, because I'm getting older. I know I'm not old, because there are some folks here that are older than me. We'll just say that. But um, you're young ladies. We've watched them grow up, and we praise the Lord for, for God working in their lives, and we've seen... Well, Cassandra teaches lessons here, not this summer, but starting back up in the fall. She teaches piano and violin and voice. Our kids have been taking voice from her for a couple of years, and Caleb's learning the violin. He'd learn it a lot faster if he'd practiced, but he is learning it <laughs> slowly. He's learning it. Um, and I know Lexi, I think she went next door already. She's coming for piano lessons, and uh, it's a blessing. And Rachel teaches in Jefferson. Is that correct? Yep. Rachel teaches piano lessons in Jefferson. And the other ladies love to sing and play piano. And um, God has used them and the guitar. I know Isabel plays the guitar too. So God's just been using them. And 
Philip and his family, they're the IT whizzes. So several of the things we have here, our Wi-Fi and um, some of our sound equipment and the computer back there, and it's been either provided by Philip or he's come and helped us get it all worked out and running, and uh, so it's just a blessing. And they're from, I know they said Churchill Baptist, but it's in Augusta. It's the church where I, I was trained, Pastor Wiley, so two of his two daughters, I would say two of his daughters, his other two kids are sons, so two of his kids, but his two daughters are here with us, and uh, him and Miss Karen, and they're the ones who trained me and Erica to come up here and uh, do what we're doing. So anyways, a lot of history there, goes back a few years, and we're thankful for God working and just how he has kept our churches and our families close to one another, and we get to still minister to each other and be a blessing to each other. So, 2 Peter chapter number 3 is where we're going to be, and uh, you know, last week I felt terrible about how long-winded I was, but that clock's like, never mind, it's like... <laughs> three or four minutes fast. For some reason, I looked earlier, and it seemed like it was 10 minutes fast. I'm like, I wasn't as long as I thought, but now I'm syncing them up, and it's not as big of a difference as I thought. I guess it's like, it's like five minutes faster than I thought. So, Anyways, we'll see how today goes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I may decide, we'll see, but I may decide to split the message into two, morning and afternoon, uh, but we'll just see how far we get and how things are going, but... Uh, God has been working on my heart the last few days, and there's just some things that I get up to preach, and I think I'm going to just follow my outline and kind of get out of, out of sorts a little bit. Not really out of sorts, but I get off track from my notes a little bit, we'll say that, but not necessarily off track. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, let's stand together as we read. We're just going to read this one verse for now. And forgive me, between allergies and <laughs> emotions, <laughs> my nose keeps running. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank You for um, Your Word. Thank You for... Um, the ladies and the, and the Kinneys all coming up from Churchill Baptist today to minister to us, and what a blessing it has been. And uh, Lord, I'm thankful for the songs and how they prepare our hearts for the preaching of your word and um, just get us thinking about your goodness, your mercy, your grace, and just how much we have to truly be thankful for. And I pray, Father, that we would uh, just grasp the truths that you have for us today from your word. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, that you would, through the Word of God and through the Spirit, would you minister to our hearts and our minds and to our lives, and just help us, Lord, to grasp these truths, to comprehend them, to consider how they might need to influence our lives so we can change, so we can grow to be what you want us to be, to be who you want us to be. And Lord, probably we won't hear new truths today, but maybe some truths we need to be reminded of. And Lord, I just ask you to work. I ask that you would accomplish your perfect will, and we'll praise you and thank you for what you do. We ask these things and pray them all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, 
I've been thinking a lot this week about investment. And, uh, you know, Sunday school, we started talking about the family <clears throat> and raising children. A big part of raising kids to be what God wants them to be is investment, investing in their lives. And we also talked a little bit about how if we want to raise our kids to have a heart for God, the way the Bible tells us to, and the way that probably every Christian parent wants to, then we have to live and model that life in front of them. So how do we live the godly life in front of our kids that we want them to one day live when they're out on their own? Well, it takes investment into our own lives as well. Uh, when something grows, I got into this hobby, and I'm going to confess, I have failed quite miserably, uh, but I, my brother-in-law, <clears throat> Erica's sister's husband, is, is into bonsai trees, and I, thought, I always thought they were kind of cool. Since I was a kid and saw the movie Karate Kid, if you're familiar with that, <laughs> I'm not promoting it or anything, I'm just saying when I was a kid I saw it, I haven't seen it for years, maybe it's okay, I don't remember, but uh, and I, we're not going down that rabbit trail. So uh, anyway, so I always thought bonsai trees were really neat. You see them in the store every once in a while, and I thought, wow, it's really cool how they make it. So I didn't even know this. Apparently, my brother-in-law is into bonsai trees, and he's got over 100 of them. I mean, they're all over his yard, his house, everywhere. So he, I was over there one day, and I thought, that's really cool. Maybe I'll get one of those sometime. And he goes, really? You're interested in bonsai trees? And I said, well, I don't know how interested, but I guess I'm interested. And he's like, here's five. Take them home with you. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then the next time I come over, how's your trees doing? I think they're doing okay. Well, here's five more. And next thing I know, and then I pick up a couple at the store thinking, oh, I'd like to have one that looks like that and one that looks like that. Well, apparently, I, you know, there's a lot to it anyways. So I've killed most of them. Or the, or the rodents did last winter when they stripped the bark off them, and then they didn't do anything this spring when the sun came or the warm weather came back out. But I still got a few left. So I'm learning that I am failing miserably, especially the outdoor bonsai trees. Indoor ones are a little easier. You just got to keep watering them and feed them more than I do, but at least every once in a while to keep them going. Uh, but they're kind of a neat thing, I guess, if you can be successful at it. I have not figured that out yet. And there's actually quite a bit of time and investment involved in making them look like they look when they get old and they're all gnarly and twisted looking and they're shaped the way you want them. You got to wire them, you got to prune them, you got to repot them and change, you know, and then you got to put them in the right kind of pot and work their roots and you got to feed. I mean, there's a lot to it. Some of them, you got to pluck all the leaves off so that they produce smaller leaves that make it look more miniature and dwarf. I mean, there's all, I don't, I don't know about which ones, I just know that there's some that you do. That. So anyway, there's all these things. You got to invest this time, effort, money, put this food to them, the, the fertilizer. You got to invest all this stuff into making them grow into what you want them to be. And the truth is God wants us all to be something specific. He wants us to mature. He wants us to grow into his image. He wants us to grow to be uh, a child of his that will accomplish a specific work. And some of that work is leading others to Christ. Some of it is being in a part of a body 
of believers, a church body. Some of it is finding a place in that body where we can serve. And we need to mature and grow to be able to fulfill those things that he wants us to do. So I've been thinking a lot about investment this, investment this last week or so and growth in the investment that it takes to grow. And, you know, if I want to be a... I'm running out of time to be a good dad, so I better, if I'm not now, I better get after it because I'm, I'm running out of time. My kids are getting grown up. But if I want to be a better dad, a better husband, a better pastor, just a better man, a better Christian in general, then I've got to take stock of my life from time to time and consider where am I falling short? Where, where do I need to grow? And, you know, the best way to do that is to consider what's the Bible say about where I should be growing, where I need to grow, and the different opportunities that I have. As we consider those things, then we can see uh, in our lives what we need to work on. So if we, if we back up in 2 Peter 3, and we look at the first four verses, we're just going to do a quick... We're going to try to be... We're going to do a quick outline of the majority of this chapter just to kind of give us some context here. And then we're going to look at another passage in Peter, <clears throat> Second Peter. So the first four verses we see, it says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So, in preparation for the Lord's return, we want to be living a specific way. We want to be... We, you ever hear somebody say, well, I want the Lord to find me busy when he returns. I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We've heard all those, all those statements. Well, the reality is there are some that are saying he's not coming. You Christians keep saying he's coming back, he's coming back, and yet here we are 2,000 years after his death, burial, and resurrection, and he still hasn't come back. So at what point are the Christians going to give up on this thought, on this idea of him returning? That's, that's what people are, in essence, doing or will be doing, and that's what this is talking about, the scoffers. So verse number 9, we're going to skip down a little ways. Verse number 9 tells us why he hasn't come back yet. <clears throat> the Lord doesn't do anything without purpose. He, he has a reason for everything he does. So why hasn't he come back these 2,000 years? Well, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And praise God that he is long-suffering to usward. Because if he wasn't long-suffering, I would have never got saved. If he wasn't long-suffering, you would have never got saved. Because in our sins, he would have looked at us and said, You know what? They're not worth it. But he was long-suffering. And for some, he had to work on us a little bit. And we said, no, nah, I'm not interested. Work on us a little more. No, nah, I'm not interested. Work on us a little more. 
and a little more and a little more. And we kept saying, no, I'm not interested and continued living in our sin. But at some point in our lives, because of his long suffering, he started work on, uh, working on us. And we were in a place where we said, okay, I'm ready to listen to this now. I'm ready to think on this. What is going on here? There's more to this than what I've always thought. And because he was long-suffering and he didn't give up on us somewhere earlier in that process, we ended up getting saved, getting born again, and trusting him as our personal Savior. So that's why verse 15 of this passage says, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Praise God for his long-suffering. So I jumped ahead a little bit. Verse 13 says, Nevertheless, we... Where did I go here? According to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. So you and I as Christians, I know this is, uh, Pastor Wiley mentioned this when he was here a few weeks ago, but this is the issue with, you know, uh, uh, pre-wrath or mid-trib or post-trib is what a Christian who believes in pre-wrath, mid-trib, post-trib, whatever you want to call it, anything but pre-trib, what, is, what are they looking for? The Lord tells us to be watching and ready for His return. If we don't believe in the imminent return of Christ, if we don't believe that He is coming before the tribulation, at least rapturing us out of here before the tribulation, then we're looking for the signs we're looking for uh, the events that are going to take place. We're looking for the Antichrist. Does that not sound like something the devil would want us doing? Yeah. Instead of looking for the Christ, looking for the Antichrist. I mean, to me, that right there goes ding, 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 ding. You know, light bulb comes on over the head and I go, oh, I don't want to be looking for the Antichrist. So I don't need to get into all that. I think you kind of get the point, but we are to be watching for Christ in the air, not looking for the signs of the Antichrist. Verse number 15, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. So just in case we didn't get it when Peter said it here, or I guess you go back to Paul when he said it in Timothy, Peter's reiterating it, that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. He's quoting the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> All right. So, that brings us down, verse 16. As also in his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which he, uh, are some things hard to be understood, which they are, that are unlearned and unstable, rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. You know what that word rest means? It means they wrestle the scriptures. It means that they, they take the Bible and there are things that either they don't really understand or because of being unlearned in the truth, they want it to say something specific, so they wrestle it and they fight with it and they make it say what they want or to fit their, their beliefs. And there's a lot of wrestling with the scriptures that takes place. Uh, we want the scriptures to wrestle us into where we need to be. We don't want to wrestle the scriptures to try to make them say what we want them to say. And that's a, that's a real problem. This says it, it leads to their own destruction. 
Because sometimes people wrestle the scriptures to say something that's not right, and it might be in regards to salvation, and then what happens? They end up going to hell thinking that they're all set, thinking that they're okay, thinking that everything's good, because they've wrestled the scriptures to fit what they want, instead of letting the scriptures define themselves and, and mean what God intends them to mean. All right, we're going to keep moving here. Verse 18. Oh, I skipped 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. So we want to be, we want to be strong and we want to be aware. We want to know that these things are happening. What things? Well, that some people are trying to cast doubt on the Lord's return. And some people are wrestling the scriptures to try to fit what they want it to fit. And we want to be careful that we're not led astray or deceived or misled. And we could go into the epistles and we could see in Colossians where it talks about, let no man beguile you. We could go into other passages of scriptures. We can go all, back, all the way back to Genesis and see how the serpent beguiled Eve. You know, I mean, we can, we can see this is a trick of the devil and it has been a trick all the way since the beginning of time. And why hasn't he got new tricks? Well, because the old ones just keep working. So when the old tricks work, why try anything different? Why try anything new? So that leads us to our, our verse, our primary verse, kind of primary verse, verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So this final closing remark from 2 Peter, we're to be watching for the Lord and as we're watching for him, we're to be doing something. Not sitting on our hands, not dilly-dallying, not nothing. But we're to be growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now with that comes, yes, serving him and being involved in a local church, all those kinds of things. But you know, we will be much more effective in those things if in the meantime we are growing in grace. So how do we do that? Well... Remember that word investment I mentioned earlier? Invest in our own personal lives. And by invest in our own personal lives, I don't mean go out and buy yourself, and I, you can do this if you need, need them, but I'm not saying go out and buy a pair of shoes or go out and buy a new outfit, which like I said, you can do that, but that's not the kind of investment I'm talking about. I'm not saying go out and get your hair done or your, uh, I don't wanna sound like I'm only talking to ladies. Guys get their hair done too or your beard trimmed, or whatever, I don't know. I'm not saying that kind of investment. I, I trim my own beard, and I know it's obvious, because it's kind of always. Uh, but we need to invest in our spiritual lives. So Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter number 3, this is one of my favorite verses. And... <clears throat> I'm like Elijah. I can't talk and turn pages at the same time. I noticed when he was finding his song, he goes, turn in your hymn book to this song, and he's talking, and he's turning the pages, and he looks down, and he's going the other way, and he talks some more, and he looks, and he... Well, I do the same thing when I'm turning in my Bible. I start talking, and then i got to go back and forth a couple of times. So Philippians chapter 3, verse number 10 says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. 
So, the Lord, well, here, the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, is expressing his desire to know his Savior. And God used the Apostle Paul to pen over half of the New Testament. Do you think anybody knew the church age Savior? Do you think anyone knew Jesus Christ better than the Apostle Paul? I mean, I, I say that because I understand that the other apostles spent three and a half years living with him and serving him and following him here on this earth. So surely they knew him well. But after he ascended, God worked significantly through the Apostle Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles and establishing the church as far as church doctrine and all of those kinds of things and what yours and I's relationship with the Lord should look like. God used the Apostle Paul significantly for those things. Do we think anybody knew Jesus Christ better at this point in time than the Apostle Paul? Maybe, but probably not. I mean, God gave him all this doctrine and truth and scripture to pen down. And in so doing, the Apostle Paul still has this statement, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And I'm not going to take the time this morning to get into all of it, but I believe that cross-references back to Romans 6, where God's also using the Apostle Paul to pen Scripture, dealing with the crucified life, being that we die to self, and we put off uh, the old man and the mortal body and the, all that stuff. I, I believe that's what he means when he says, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I think that's what that last part means. So, the Apostle Paul desired to know God more. And I think it's a pretty good thing to model ourselves after. Um, and just so everyone knows, I haven't been flipping the screen because I think probably most people can't see it over on this side. Is that true? So, I'm just not going to worry. I'm not going to make it a distraction. We'll just leave the screen where it's at for now. So, it is God's grace that allows us to have a relationship with Him. We can only know Him because of His grace in our life. Were it not for God's grace, we wouldn't be able to have a personal relationship with Him. Well, what is God's grace? You've heard the, uh, you've heard the phrase, God's riches at Christ's expense. Uh, G-R-A-C-E. It's an acronym, right? That's what that's called. Well, look with me over to 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8. That's not just a catchy little phrase. It's actually quite biblical. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 9. It says, For ye know the grace of our Lord, Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. So he was rich, but for you and I, he became poor so that we can be rich. God's riches, he was rich. Christ's expense, he became poor so that we could be rich. So we end up with his riches because he paid for them, even though we don't deserve them. That's grace. Uh, I think Webster's 1828, a rough off the top of my head, is unmerited favor, that we, we receive favor that we haven't earned, we don't deserve, we can't afford, we haven't paid for. 
It is just God giving it to us because of his grace. That's a blessing. Well, in our passage, it says to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? What's that look like? Well, we should, first, we got to have a desire. We have to have a desire to grow. We have to have a desire to know him better. Uh, how do we know him better? Well, the best way I can come up with that we know Christ better is to know his word better because he reveals everything he wants us to know right here in this, in this book. So if I want to know him more, it's not going to happen through experience and through uh, emotional uh, events taking place in my life. It's going to happen through me increasing in knowledge of his word, which is his revelation to me. So that's how I can know him better. So I have to have a desire. i got to put in the effort to make it possible and the work so that I can know him better today than I did yesterday. And that, that does take work. It takes effort. So it requires growing in our personal relationship with him, which ultimately will produce transformation in me. The more I know him, he's going to change me. The better I know him, he's going to make me and mold me into what he wants me to be. <clears throat> so, 2 Peter, we're going to jump back here, but this time to chapter 1. 2 Peter, chapter number 1. The first four verses of this passage... It says the elders, no it doesn't, that's 1 Peter chapter 5. 2 Peter chapter 1 says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So if the apostle Paul, I can't talk this morning, if the Apostle Peter, there we go, when you switch between Paul and Peter and they both start with a P, it starts to mess with your mind a little bit, at least me. So the Apostle Peter is speaking to these, uh, these folks, and they are folks who have obtained like precious faith. So he's talking to save people. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and, our, and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So I want grace, I want peace. We're talking about a, an internal peace. You know, for you and I, that comes through our Savior, Jesus Christ. That comes through us knowing Him better. Verse 3, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things, we've got all the tools we need that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So he's given us what we need to be able to live a godly life. He's given us what we need to be able to be what he has saved us to be. Well, what is it? Well, we're going to begin in verse number 5, and I know this is a familiar list of things, but, you know, we have a lot of people here today that haven't been here when somebody else has preached on this or when I've preached on this. Uh, we have some, I just think, well, I don't think. The Lord led me to preach on this. 
And I wasn't planning to go on to this, but it's just where the Lord has us. So, 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll see how far we get before we break for the afternoon. Verse number 5, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So, notice we need to add to our faith. So how do you add to your faith if you don't have faith? faith. You can't, right? So the very first thing you got to have is faith. You've got to be saved. You've got to, you have to have obtained the like precious faith that it said back in, in verse number one. We have to have obtained that. Well, this is assuming, we're assuming here based off of this, that the apostle Peter is speaking to people who have done that. So that's why they're adding to our faith. But I'd be a fool to think that everyone here has obtained like precious faith and not at least point that out. So we have to have obtained this faith. We have to have, have had this faith, have this faith. And then we add to it virtue. Well, what is virtue? Virtue is a steadfast mind to please the God that saved us. We often hear it defined, and probably if you look it up in most dictionaries, it's going to say virtue is morality or moral living or doing what is right. Well, if we have a steadfast mind to please the God that saved us, we're going to be pretty moral people. We will be significantly more moral than the lost person who's doing their best to just have the world's version of virtue. A great example of this is in... Uh, Proverbs, I don't want to say Philippians, but it's not Philippians. Proverbs chapter 31. Are you familiar with the passage referred to as the virtuous woman? Well, what better place to define what virtue is than to look at where the Bible defines what a virtuous woman looks like? I mean, a virtuous person. In Proverbs 31, verses 15 and 16, it says, She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field, and buyeth it with the fruit of her hands. She planteth a vineyard. Verse 21, so she's hard working. Verse 21, she is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She takes care of their provisions. Verses 26 to 27. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. I read an extra verse there, but I skipped something that I wanted to read. The beginning of the passage on the virtuous woman, verses 10 and 11, 12. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. So she's going to take care of and see to it that his needs are met. Well, if we consider that with Ephesians chapter number 5, uh, verse 21, I think, or 22 where it says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. And we consider, we see that's what she is doing here, this virtuous woman. So 
what makes her virtuous? Well, that she's doing all the things that her husband, who if we think of what Ephesians tells us, in submission to him, she's doing all the things that he needs her to do, all the things that he would want her to do. She's seeing to it that he could not, uh, that he doesn't need to fear that she's going to do something that's going to damage his name or hurt his name. Are we as Christians not supposed to have a testimony that would not damage the name of our Savior? Yeah. He should be able to trust us to live a life on this earth that is going to glorify and magnify Him and not a life that is going to hurt His name or damage His name to somebody who might be considering whether or not they're going to place their faith and trust in Him. That might cause a child who's growing up in a church to reach a point where they say, I don't want anything to do with church or the Lord because these people that I've watched all my life as I'm growing up in church, they just play church. They're not, they're not really living what they say they're living. They don't really believe it. It's not being demonstrated by their lives. Our testimony should not be one that would hinder anyone or hurt their faith or cause them to stumble. This virtuous woman had the testimony that her husband could trust in her, had the testimony that she'd do him good and not evil all the days of her life, She was a hard worker, a laborer for her husband. And I think that's a pretty good picture of what you and I ought to be as virtuous. Uh, So, virtue, a steadfast mind to please the God that saved us. Second thing we need to add to our faith, if we go back over to 2 Peter 1. And can I say this? When we're adding these things to our faith... It goes a whole lot better if they're in order. So they're building blocks one on top of the other. When they get out of order, they actually can get us into trouble. But we're not going to get into too much of that today. But All right, so second thing, add to your faith, knowledge. So verse number 5 of 2 Peter 1 says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. What is knowledge? A biblically educated mind learning all that we can about God, Christ, His will, His plan, and the effects of sin. So one who has educated their mind biblically. We know the Bible. We understand the Bible. And the Bible has so... Our our knowledge of the Bible is so that it affects the way we live our lives. It comes out in our living because we understand... We know God, we know Christ, we know what His will is, what His plan is, and we know the effects of sin on our lives and on others' lives. And because of that knowledge, it affects how we live our life. Now, there's more to it. That knowledge is not enough to fix everything, but it's a a stepping stone. We started with the virtue, a desire to fulfill all of what God would want us to do, to please Him. Well, if we have virtue, we're going to want to have knowledge. Because how do we please Him if we don't know what He wants us to do? How do we please Him if we don't know His plan? How do we please Him if we don't know His will? Or we don't know our sins and what they're going to cause for damage to my life or to someone else's life. A good 
biblical definition of knowledge is in Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10, and we'll look at verse number 14. says, wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. So knowledge, this biblically educated mind, well, if we have wisdom, we're going to lay up knowledge. Wise men lay up knowledge. Also in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 12. It says, apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. God wants us to have knowledge. Well, how do we, how do we get knowledge? Well, it's through his word. We need to dig in. We need to be dedicated. We need to be determined that we are going to increase in our knowledge of his word. And as we do, we will increase in our knowledge of God. And I'm convinced that as we increase in our knowledge of His Word and of, and of our God, we're going to increase in our love for Him as well. We'll look at one more and then we'll break for lunch. Temperance. Add to your faith temperance. I have a hard time saying this because it probably shouldn't be the case, but this is, this is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> I don't, they're all great, don't get me wrong, but I don't know why. I just love, probably because I always misunderstood what temperance was. It's probably why it just really stands out to me. You know, again, if you look up temperance in the dictionary, it's probably going to tell you it's self-control, that we tempered ourselves or we control ourselves. Well, temperance, if you continue to look in the dictionary, at least in a, in a good dictionary, it's also going to tell you that it's mixing two things together, like we temper steel. Uh, and you do that by how you mix two things together and how you treat them. Well... Temperance is a mingling of our spirit with the Holy Spirit, yielding, ultimately yielding to His control. So it's not self-control, it's really self-submission to His control. That's what temperance is, it's Holy Spirit control. And so often we try to have self-control because we, we know, the Bible says, I need to have temperance, so I need to have self-control. So we work so hard to control ourselves. And you know what happens over and over and over again when we do that? We fail. <laughs> At least some of the times. If I had good self-control, I'd be a much fitter man. I would be probably climbing mountains and eating salads. and <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't be, but I'd probably be in better shape than I am right now if I had more self-control. Uh, but it's not, it's not self-control, it's spirit control. And if we grasp that truth and we yield ourselves to Him and let the Holy Spirit have control of our life, I'll tell you one thing, it sets us free because all of a sudden the pressure is not on me to try to do right. The pressure is on me to yield so that I can then do what's right because he's leading me to. And how does he lead me? 
through the book, through His Word. Uh, it goes back to last week's message of being filled with the Spirit, which is done when we are filled with the Word. So, John 14, 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Who's the Comforter? It's the Holy Spirit. And after Christ ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit. And one of the Holy Spirit's ministries, if you will, one of his roles in our lives is to teach us and to bring to remembrance this book. Well, how does he do that? Well, it starts by me getting this book into here and here, increasing in knowledge. And then the Holy Spirit, as I yield myself over to him, he has the ability to bring those things to mind, to remind me of them. So, all right. So what we've talked about so far, adding to our faith, virtue, knowledge, and temperance. This afternoon, we'll cover the other four. I think there's four more. All right. So we'll close in prayer for now. We'll eat some lunch. And then the ladies will sing some more this afternoon. So prayerfully you can be here for that. And, I mean, if you're here for the preaching, that doesn't matter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hopefully you can be here for all of it. But it's been a blessing. All right. Let's go ahead and pray, and then uh, we'll have lunch. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that we are seeing and prayerfully the things we're learning. Father, I pray that you'd help us to consider uh, when we're done for the day these things that we need to add to our faith, to look at our lives and consider, do I have all of these things? Do I have every one of them in my life or, or am I struggling in some of these areas? Probably, possibly. We don't have them all. But Lord, uh, we know you want us to. In fact, you've commanded us to. And we need to uh, consider how we might allow you to produce this work in our lives so that we can be the mature Christians that you want us to be. Father, I pray you bless our day. Thank you for the ladies and their singing. Thank you for the time we've had in your house so far. I pray bless the food next door, bless the fellowship. <laughs> Be with those who maybe can't stay, and we just thank you and praise you for all you do for us. We love you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.